As the church completes the celebration of Easter each spring on the Feast of Pentecost, we return to what is called ordinary time, where we're not actively preparing to celebrate a great feast, as in Advent and Lent, or actually celebrating one, as in Christmas and Easter. During Easter, we celebrate the Paschal Mystery. As we say in the Nicene Creed, for our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. After the celebration of the Ascension, we then celebrate, in effect, the next phase of Revelation, which is Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit. As the Catechism says, Pentecost ushers in a new era in the dispensation of the mystery, the age of the Church. In this new age of the Church, Christ manifests, makes present, and communicates his work of salvation through the liturgy of his church until he comes again. With the ascension, the direct incarnate presence of Christ on earth ceases. But Christ now sends the Holy Spirit to empower his church, to be the engine of his continuing incarnational presence in the world. This, the source and summit of this is the most blessed sacrament. The descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost transformed the disciples from being merely followers of Jesus to being his apostles to the ends of the earth. Before the ascension, Jesus had given his followers this command, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But until they received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, his disciples were not fulfilling this great commission. They were hiding out in a locked room, fearful of the Jews who had arrested Jesus and brought him before Pilate. It was the descent of the Holy Spirit that transformed Christ's ragtag band of followers into a mission-shaped church. But in manifesting himself in the upper room, the Holy Spirit's only purpose wasn't to give the disciples the courage and the charisms to do what they needed to do. Rather, Pentecost revealed to Christ's followers the fullness of the Trinitarian mystery. By encountering and receiving the Holy Spirit, the church now had the full picture of God's genuine identity, the Trinitarian glory of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And because of that, the disciples now understood their true identity as Christians. They could understand the full meaning of the baptism that they had received and that they would give to others. They had become, in some mysterious way, one with the Trinity. This is the knowledge and the reality that all of Revelation points to. Yes, revelatory things of significance continue to happen until the end of the apostolic age but none of it can be under, understood except in the light of Pentecost, the revelation of the Trinity, the bedrock of all existence. That's why I think there is a subtle beauty in the manner in which the celebration of Easter, capped by Pentecost, gives way to ordinary time, where on the first post-Sunday 
of the first post-Pentecost Sunday, the church then has us celebrating the most blessed trinity. In celebrating Pentecost, we mark the the completion of the revelation of the trinity to mankind, as the third person of the Godhead is now fully revealed. And then we return back to the beginning by going to ordinary time, as if returning back to Genesis, before all else that was and is created, there was only the Trinity. Now, maybe you're thinking, okay, Father, this would have been a great homily last week, but bear with me. We live in a world in which the very reality of the human identity is under attack. Think of all the ways in which modern society teaches us that our identity as persons is completely malleable. We can become, so we are told, anything we want, and thus do anything we want. We believe that with enough political effort, or perhaps by technology, we can shape ourselves and the human community into whatever we want. We don't accept that our identity is given to us, and that from that reality flows certain basic principles. That essence precedes existence. Instead, like the existential philosophers, modern man holds that existence precedes essence. Everything can be shaped according to our will. In saying that, I'm not taking aim merely at the latest social expression of this phenomenon, which people call transgenderism, though that's one of the more obvious examples, of course. Rather, this mindset is present whenever we believe that we can impose our will on this world that God created for us. That hubris manifests itself in so many ways, in decadent consumption, in economic and social exploitation, in genetic manipulation, in environmental degradation, and in sexual license. There's plenty of blame to go around for everyone. All of it is a sin against the second commandment. You shall not take the name of your Lord in vain. Taking the Lord's name in vain ultimately means trying to manipulate the divine reality according to our own selfish desires, which we do whenever we fail to subordinate our ego and our desires to the dictates of the nature that God has created in us and around us. In doing so, we ignore our identity as children of God, and then it quickly becomes possible to ignore the divine imprint in others. Sadly, because of this, perhaps we are headed for a new age of slavery, politically, economically, and socially. The antidote to this madness is found in last week's gospel. Jesus said to his disciples concerning the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine, and for this reason I told you that he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. The Son proceeds from the Father. The Father gives the Son everything of his identity. And now Jesus desires to give us everything that he is as the Son of the Father, including the merits of his sacrifice on the cross. Well, how can he do this? The answer is through the Eucharist. As Jesus said, take all of you and eat of it, for this is my body given for you. The same body that suffered on the cross is, by the Holy Spirit, made miraculously present to us in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. 
This is what we celebrate today on the Feast of Corpus Christi. The significance of this for our lives should be obvious. We shouldn't be trying to manipulate reality for the sake of our own wants and desires. Rather, we should be embracing the Trinitarian identity that was given to us in baptism and that is strengthened each time we worthily receive the Eucharist. In doing so, in the pattern of Christ in the Eucharist, we are called to take what is given to us and make it a gift to others. We are called to self-giving and self-sacrifice, rather than to the modern world's call to self-invention and self-obsession. One final point. As you know, this evening we will celebrate a special Mass at 5 p.m. for the Feast of Corpus Christi. It will inaugurate the return of the venerable practice of the priest facing ad orientum while celebrating the liturgy of the Eucharist, meaning that he faces towards the tabernacle. Or in other words, the priest will be facing in the same direction as the people who are sitting in the principal part of the nave which in our church in the round is a little obscure, but basically it means the area to my right, towards the front door. One of the dangers of the newer practice of the priest facing back towards the people is that it turns the priest into a kind of dramatic actor in the liturgy. When the priest faces the people, the unfortunate consequence is that sometimes people see the priest's face as they gaze upon the action at the altar. It tends to focus attention on the person of the priest rather than on what the priest is doing in making our, Lord's pre our Lord present in the Mass. We live in a world in which celebrities and politicians have a flair for narcissistic spectacle. We live in a world where information that should be kept private, thanks to television and the internet and social media, is often made into painful and grating public spectacle. We live in a world where people are engaged in the practice of continual self-promotion and self-drama. Perhaps returning to the traditional practice of the priest facing ad orientum will moderate the focus on the priest rather than on the sacrifice of the mass, where this tendency can sometimes exist in the modern liturgy. But even more importantly, as we celebrate the Feast of Corpus Christi, we are called to rediscover the identity of the one whom we receive in the Eucharist, who is the certain cure for the world that has lost the sense of our human identity, and with it, our connection to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.